Well, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I'm excited to be standing where I'm standing this morning. It's been a minute. You guys have gotten lucky the past month. You haven't had to deal with me. Today, y'all got to see me. Today, we get to start a brand new series. It's called How It's Going. It's called How It's Going. I don't know if you've seen this. It's a pretty popular, it's a pretty popular meme on the internet. We just watched a series of them where it's the idea um, of things not exactly going as we expected them to be going, right? And so we'll see one picture on the left side of the meme that gives you an idea of sometime in the past, this is how something started. And then at some point in the future, on the right side, you'll see a picture of how it's going, right? It's a pretty, it's a pretty popular meme, uh, if you haven't, in, if you haven't seen it. Uh, in this series, what we're going to attempt to do is we want to take some pretty popular stories. Uh, we want to express how it started and then discover the unexpected outcome of what really happened in these stories. We start our series this week in the Gospel of John. In my opinion, the Gospel of John is always a great place to start. If you're new to the faith or you're still trying to learn it and figure it out, what I love about the Gospel of John is that while the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, will tell you about the things that Jesus did, the Gospel of John, I think, is a great starting place because it tells you about who Jesus is. And so we start there this morning. We're going to go to the fifth chapter. If you have your Bibles with you, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. The fifth chapter is indicated by the big number five. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay because it'll be on the screen with you. You see, when you give specific instruction, KT, people don't lose their place in the middle of their sermons. Y'all were just going to let him come at me four weeks ago. I've been holding on to it ever since. Please remember, I'm good at holding grudges. This is John chapter 5. Transform me, Holy Ghost. John chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 2. Let's read this together. It says this. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed. And he walked. And then real quick, just drop down with me to verse 21. Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, 
so also the Son gives life to whom he will. We'll tag this week in our series, How It's Going. Not the life I expected. I couldn't do it any other way. I have three points this morning, and three points only, but I'm going to hit all three. So get ready. The first one is this. Point one. Do you want to be well? Come on. Man, that stands out, doesn't it? Yes. Let's get some context. In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, they, they would build structures to represent God. Priests and other religious folk would stand on street corners and publicly and loudly pray to God. But God wasn't in any of those things. There in the midst of these structures in Jerusalem was a pool, a pool called Bethesda. And it was believed that when the waters would spring up in this pool, it was an unexplainable phenomenon at that point, that at some point randomly, this pool in the middle, the water would just start to bubble. And as it bubbled, the the legend, the, the, the oral tradition of that bubbling pool was that, was that the first person to get into the pool and to reach the spring would be healed of whatever ailment they suffered from. And so naturally, this pool became a collection of invalids, people who couldn't walk, people who couldn't see people who were very sick, they would just wait by the pool because you never knew. It wasn't the same time every day. You never knew when it was going to happen. And you always had to be ready. And whenever the well would spring up, you would have to rush yourself into the center of the pool. Now there was this man, this man that our story focuses on today, this man who had been there for 38 years. Imagine how difficult it must be to beat other sick folk to the center of a pool when your legs don't work. Imagine the frustration he must have experienced sitting on his bottom for 38 years watching person after person get in front of him and for them to be healed, but for him to be forced to sit here and watch it. Imagine for so long the frustration of being so close to something that you, could that you perceived could make you better, but not being close enough to be able to obtain it. Imagine the mindset that he must have been in. And then in walks Jesus. Jesus sees him. And the text says, Jesus knew. He knew that that man had been there for 38 years. 38 years is longer than I've been alive. I have no concept for how long he was there because I haven't been here that long. Some of you can remember 38 years ago. I can't. I can only imagine that it's a really long, frustrating period of time. And Jesus walks up to this man who had been sitting by the pool 
longer than I've been in existence and said, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Jesus saw the man in his current condition. So Jesus also knew that he had grown accustomed to his disability. He had gotten used to not being able to walk. He had gotten used to the fact that his body was broken. He had gotten used to the fact that there were things other people could do that he couldn't do. He got used to the fact that the hand he was dealt or whatever happened to him didn't necessarily happen to everybody else, but it did happen to him. And so now he's found a way to make himself comfortable in his brokenness. Perhaps to some extent, he even feared being healed. Because at this point, he had lived that way for 38 years. What else does he know? Maybe he feared going anywhere other than the pool. Maybe he completely knew, I'm never going to make it into the pool, but where else would I go? Because where else do I know how to function? Where else do I know how to exist? Maybe I'm never getting into that pool. Maybe I'm never getting healed. But you know what? I don't know anything else. So I might as well just stay right here. Perhaps to some extent he feared losing his livelihood. Because at least here I know occasionally some people might be around to feed us. And either way, no matter what mindset he was in, Jesus comes to him and Jesus offers healing. Church, sometimes I think when it comes to our lives... I think we become accustomed to the hand that we're dealt. I think all of us in here, without exception, are really quick to recognize the ways that our bodies are broken. We're quick to recognize the ways that our families are broken. We're quick to recognize the ways that our communities are broken. We're quick to recognize the ways that our systems are broken. We're quick to recognize the way where something outside of our control has limited our mobility. But rather, rather than seek transformation, we find ways to make ourselves comfortable in the brokenness. And because we don't know how to overcome, we find other ways of dealing with the pain. And in the ways that we found to cope with the pain, we attempt to, quote, normalize those methods so as to also escape judgment of participating in said methods. Sometimes I think we take on our disadvantages, our shortcomings, our sin. We take them on as a part of our identity. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to overcome it. We don't see it as something that we can be healed from. And so we take it on as our identity and we just say, well, that's just who I am. And then we ask the rest of the world around us to make adjustments to the way we are rather than continuing to seek healing. Other times, 
Other times, I think we actually become fearful of getting out of our situations because it's all we know. Have you ever watched somebody who wrestles with addiction and a lot of times get pulled back into addiction after, after going through something to help them get over it? It's not because they got bored of the new way. It's because to some extent, it's what they know. It's familiar. There was some sort of comfort that was found, some sort of identity that was found. We convince ourselves that maybe we're not even capable of contributing outside of this brokenness. Maybe there really is nowhere else that we belong, and the reason we've been left in this brokenness is because there's nothing that God or anyone else has for us. If any of that strikes a chord with you, and because of whatever circumstance your attention span this morning is going to be short, I need you to tune back in for just the next 10 seconds while I say this to you. Jesus came to offer healing. In Jerusalem, there were all sorts of religious structures. There were all sorts of religious idols. There was all sorts of religious talk. There was all sorts of religious appearance. But healing did not come to Jerusalem until Jesus arrived. There's nothing that you will find in this world that will touch you the way that Jesus can heal you. He came to offer healing. But he asks if you want it. Church, do you want to be healed? And by asking this, Jesus isn't being, being a smarty pants, right? He's not being sarcastic. He's not being condescending. But do you even want to be healed? You've been here for 38 years. Why don't you just get up and get a job? Because my legs is broke, Jesus. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's initiating a relationship where the promise of said relationship is healing. He's initiating a relationship that will take you on a journey that begins with the transformation of your heart and ultimately culminates in a resurrected life for eternity. Do you want that? Well, then let me ask, point two. Are you too focused on the pool? See, in his response, when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I think many of us are in here like, yup. And I'm sure to some extent that was his reaction as well. Yeah, I want to be healed. Man, what kind of stupid... Listen, he offered a defense of his circumstance first. Isn't that just like us, though? Like, do you even want this? Man, I've been trying to tell you, all these people, right? Or the way that, the way that my bank account is set up. Or the way that my family is set up. We don't just answer yes. P.S., that's what Jesus is looking for. 
We answer with a defense. In his response, the paralyzed man is not focused on what is being offered to him. He's only focused on why he hasn't made it in the pool. But did Jesus ask him about the pool? Did he say, why haven't you gotten in the pool? He's focused on the fact that I have nobody to put me in the pool. And people keep getting there in front of me. See, some people, Jesus, the way that my legs are set up, I can't get there. Some people is only blind. If they blind, their legs work and they can get there. But I can't get there because my legs don't work. They can walk their blind selves in faster than I can army crawl my crippled self in. And so that's why I am the way that I am. And this is a classic misunderstanding that we see repeated in John's gospel where Jesus asks something, somebody else thinks he means something else, and he's about to correct him like, no, 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 fam, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus wasn't asking, do you want to get in the pool? Jesus wasn't asking, do you want me to pick you up and carry you over here? Jesus wasn't asking, do you even still believe that that pool can hear you anymore? And as a matter of fact, can I freely point out that at no point did Jesus acknowledge or utilize the pool. Jesus doesn't need the pool. Jesus doesn't need the power of the springs to heal this man. Jesus doesn't need to wait for the natural phenomenon to happen. So let me ask you, what is the solution? What is the pool that you are so fixed on that it's taking your gaze away from the healer himself and making you focus just on this? Well, man, if I, could, if I could just get through school, if I could just get this degree, if I could just, if I could just get this promotion, if I could just get this much money, if I could just get to this tax bracket, if I could just get into this house, if I could just, if I could just find a husband or a wife, if I could just, if I could just, and you know what that leads to? That leads to grinding and grinding and grinding toward a solution that just like the pool to the crippled man seems like it's attainable, but it's just out of reach. And we watch other people accomplish these goals. We watch other people get these things that we say that we want. And we see their life be different as a result. And we start to think, why not me? Why is God blessing them and he hasn't come to me? I was laying here way before he got here. Why haven't you come for me? Church, Jesus does not need the power of whatever it is you're focused on to get you out. Jesus doesn't need a bachelor's. Jesus never got a master's. Jesus ain't going for his PhD. Jesus doesn't need to be in a tax bracket. Jesus doesn't need his family set up to be a certain way. Jesus has the ability to overcome these things that we're fixated on, that we're focused on, and he can work a miracle. Jesus is capable with a word to accomplish all it is that we perceive we need to be blessed with. And he's not, he's not waiting. He's not waiting on us to attain whatever it is our goal says we need to get. He's waiting on us to stop looking at that thing and start looking at him. What is taking your focus. 
What is it that is taking your eye off of Christ? Let me not play this out. Let me get, let me get you to the last point because we're going to be here for a minute. Let me get you to the last point. Point three. Your story is given new life. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? The man in my head, I picture him, he looks over at the pool. Jesus says, you want to be healed? He's right here. Man goes, but the pool, right? Jesus is like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Look at me. Look at me. You ever do that to your kid? Hey, look at me. Maybe don't snap. It's not like, you know I mean, whatever. I snap. It's fine. Lord, forgive me. Like, hey, right here. Look right here. Man's like, man, the pool over here and all these people and the way that my legs are set up. And Jesus is like, ah, look right here. Get up. Pick up your bed and walk. <laughs> and the text says, at once. At once. Glory. At once. The man was healed. The, danger of, the dangers of casual reading will cause you to miss that. He says, at once, the man was healed. Now, let's go back. Imagine being 38 years on your bottom, waiting for a miracle, inability to use your legs, and all of a sudden, you can stand up. Right now, Jamie's 11 months old, and she's just now discovered that she can stand on her own without holding on to anything. And she, you know, she does the wobble, and then she's like, okay, I got this. And then I can see it in her mind. She's like, okay, but now I want to go from right here to over there where my dad's sitting. And then she realizes if I take this step, I'm going to fall down. So rather than taking the risk of falling down, she sits on her butt, and she starts crawling over to me. This man stood up after 38 years, and it wasn't no, right? It says at once, he stood up after 38 years, and he wasn't just given the ability to stand, but he was given the muscle to walk. He was given the coordination to, as he walked, pick up his mat and keep on pushing. He was able to suddenly walk and tell the religious leaders on the way by, I know it's the Sabbath, but you got to chill and keep on going. He's faithful at once to give you all that you need. When Jesus commands the man to walk, this is why I had us drop down to verse 21. When he commands the man to walk, the same word he uses for get up, is the same word in verse 21 he uses when he says the father raises from the dead. Jesus did not look at the man and say, stand up, you can do it. Jesus looked at the man, his life, his story, his condition, his whole being and said, resurrect. He said, new life, go. Don't figure out and learn how to walk like a toddler, but go and experience new life. 
Jesus gives the paralytic new life. Nothing about this man's life is the same ever again. Aren't you the crippled man? I used to be. Aren't you the beggar I saw by the pool? I used to be. What's your story now? Now I walk. That's a testimony in and of itself. When we accept the invitation into relationship that Jesus is extending to us, he is faithful at once to give our stories new life. And now let me bring it all the way home. A lot of times that works out in the most unexpected ways. I can think of several instances where just by saying yes to the invitation Jesus was offering to me, my life took a wild, unexpected turn that I would never change. I used to struggle with who I was and where I was going in this world. When I was 19, I came to a, came to a, I don't know, a crisis point, I guess you could say, because I realized that all my life, I had based what I would be doing in college and after college and all this kind of stuff on the stuff that people around me were doing. I had, I had placed and my identity had become being who other people said that I was or said that I was going to be. I, I wrestled, though, with who I really was. So much of who I was was based off of who I was around. And I would shift and change and adapt. And there's a way that that's, there's an, that that's an asset, but not usually, right? Not when you're looking for your identity. I didn't know what I was going to major in. I didn't know what I, what I want my profession to be. And the track that I was on was not the track that I had written for me. It was the track that I felt other people expected of me. I used to struggle with who I was. I used to struggle with where I was going. And then at 19, Jesus offered for me to accept him as Lord. And that resulted in me dropping my major, transferring universities, and moving to a city I ain't know nothing about. That was an unexpected turn. I used to struggle with the idea of home and family. I used to wrestle with the brokenness that I saw in like any family tree. I used to struggle with the fact that I saw broken branches at every tree that I looked at. I used to struggle with this idea of of home and God actually like making a permanent place your home and shouldn't we just always just be on the move and keep traveling and worldview, worldview, worldview. And then at 20, I felt the Lord invite me to put roots down in Canton to stop looking for my next destination and instead be really, really consistent with this group of kids and maybe help some folks see an old abandoned elementary school building turn into a community center. Jesus invited me into that. And because I said yes, (laughs) well, it happened. 
An unexpected turn happened. I ended up staying in Canton. This place became a community center. Y'all should have seen it when we got it. I used to have a hard time with the church. Still do. <laughs> but I used to have a really, really hard time with the church. And the loss of its mission. And the way that it, I didn't feel like it was effectively lo loving people. And then at 24, I felt Jesus invite me into a journey of planting a church. To see an army come out of the very community center that we had just opened. And then at 26, we had our first Sunday gathering as Third Street Community Church where you all are sitting right now. I used to feel like I was on an island in ministry. I was all by myself. Nobody really understood the tension and the stuff that I was going through. And then at 29, I was taken to Columbus. And I met these six other guys who for the first time in my life offered me a space where I didn't need to explain myself. I didn't need to explain my experiences, and they were just understood. And that group of guys would stay together and is now known as the Tribe Collective. I used to pray and struggle with help. Sometimes I would let people help, sometimes I wouldn't. But I used to pray and wrestle with to what degree do I let people help and who can come to help. Then over the past two years, God has formed the, the team here that exists now. KT and Jada, Rev, Serena, Maquita, who's with your kids right now, and Tipra. It's more than I could ask for. Unexpected turn. It's funny, at a staff retreat a couple months ago, a month ago, a month and a half ago, we all went around and shared our stories as to how we got here, and all of us had a consistent theme in common, which was, I didn't expect to be here. Church, when we, are, when we accept Jesus' invitations and we obey the direction he's calling us in, he is faithful to bring new life. And that new life, in many instances, comes in the most unexpected ways. But he's not asking you to understand him. He's not asking you to put the pieces of the puzzle together. He's not asking you to unravel the mysteries. He's asking you to say yes. Yes. My point here today is that at some point, all of us have given in to the weight of what we struggle with. <coughs> that was abrasive. We've given in to the weight of what we struggle with. All of us have taken matters into our own hands and we've grown tired and frustrated at the failure our focused minds, our focused solutions have brought. But once upon a time, Jesus walked this earth so the Spirit of the Lord could remind us that he is inviting us Amen. into redemption. He's inviting us into healing. 
And when we accept the invitation, the promise is to be made well. It's to be made whole. And when we take our focus off of the broken remedies our fallen world has offered to fix it, and instead we fix our gaze on Christ, he is faithful to raise us up from some really, really, really dead situations. Amen. So dead that sometimes the person is dead. Dead. I invite you this morning to rededicate your focus and your obedience on the one who calls us to follow him. The very invitation of follow me implies that you will be made able to walk. Let's pray. Father God, you are the perfecter of all things. Lord, your design is beautiful and it is perfect. And though we live in a fallen and broken world, we thank you that you offer us new life, both today in the midst of our brokenness and for eternity after this life. Lord, I pray this morning that each and every one of us would accept that invitation that you make possible through Jesus. And by accepting, we understand and we are inspired to understand that it's more than watching what you'll do. But it's saying yes and actively participating in obedience in the direction that you call us. God, I pray right now that you give us the strength to look up, to look away from our dark and dead situations to look and stare not at the chains that have weighed us down for generations but at the new life you extend to us with an open hand God I pray I pray that we will be quick to bring back the testimonies of the new life that is found as a result of us saying yes right now. God, I pray for the grace, for the courage to keep pushing when we feel like we've been on that track, but it's getting a little deep. God, I pray that by your grace and strength, we will be made a community that moves the light forward and marks out a path worth people following. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. All who believe say, bless up.